This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're live. We're doing it. This is the first episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. I'm Patrick. And alongside me tonight is Eddie. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. I didn't know if you were going to chime in there for a second. This is all new. Yeah, getting getting used to the new format. Waiting for everybody to come in. Hopefully, everybody's starting to make their way here. We've got the the link out on on Twitter now, so hopefully, everybody's starting to join in and revel in the victory the Ducks just had over the Blue Jackets. Yeah, four two win, man. It was a it was a game that I thought was going to be tough. Uh, the Blue Jackets are just over like, the past couple of seasons have become a better team and have been stronger and playing hard against Anaheim. And you never know what Bobrovsky you're going to get. And uh, the Blue Jackets have had some trouble scoring, so we were hoping that would work in Anaheim's favor, and it did. For sure, yeah. I, I mean, Bobrovsky looked very shaky in this game. You know, we'll get into it a little bit later, but the two goals back-to-back by Cogliano and Manson, both five-hole. Somebody had a scouting report on Bobrovsky before this one and decided to share it with two guys who, well, Cogliano is a guy that we're not used to being good on the breakaway. And Josh Manson, I, I think we've seen him on two breakaways this season. He scored both. So somebody's got the book on Bobrovsky, that's for sure. Oh yeah, man. Maybe he's gonna be—he's pulling out his bra, his uh, best Brent Burns impression from San Jose. He can play wing too, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't be- think we're ever gonna see that happen. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we got to talk a little pregame because there was some news that came out in Anaheim. Um, some good, some bad. We'll start with the good. Kevin Bieksa was scratched, so that was really good news for me. Uh, originally, Antoine Vermette was as well, along with JT Brown. But Brian Getzloff, the Ducks captain, ended up being a late scratch with flu-like symptoms, which is a bummer. I, I mean, I wonder if he's really sick. They, they had so many days off. Maybe he uh, just maybe they're resting him. But I'm, I'm sure he's probably got the flu, right? They can't afford to rest him. So yeah, there's no the Ducks way. missed out on him. Uh, and then, but Gibby's back. So yeah. that is probably the biggest note. Uh, to call out here is that he's no longer injured after missing 11 days from getting clipped by Riley Smith in Vegas or against Vegas rather Uh, the injury prone guys back in net and he looked damn good tonight so that was really good Um, what did you think about missing Ryan Getzloff going into what were you what were some of your concerns I mean, the fact that G, uh, Derek Grant is the guy replacing him. On I was going to say. Center, yeah, <laughs> that is, uh, that's number one on the list, that's for sure. Uh, but, I mean, the way he's been playing and the way that top line has been clicking, I think that was the main worry going into this game because I think we knew at some point Henry, Cash, and Richie were going to slow down a bit and that line's going to have to pick it up and the second line's going to have to pick it up. And, and obviously with him not being in the lineup, and, and Columbus is a team in the same position as the Ducks. They're fighting right now. And it was we all knew it was going to be a tough game, and not having the Ducks' best player in the lineup and your captain is always going to be tough. No, but the Ducks, um, you know, they started out a little shaky, but um, they ended up getting into their groove into the first period. Uh, we got to see some new faces on Anaheim, too, with the newly acquired Jason Chimera. Obviously, he comes over in a trade from the New York Islanders for Chris Wagner, 
And then Chris Kelly, uh, Captain Canada from the uh, Olympic Games, <laughs> of all names that you would see <laughs> tied the to uh, the Olympics in Canada. <laughs> Chris Kelly, Captain so, Canada. <laughs> Captain Canada. So the first and last time you'll hear that is uh, announced with his name. But uh, they make appearances for Anaheim in their debut. In their debut, and then we also got to see up close and personal Thomas Vanek from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, he was involved in a trade with the Vancouver Canucks, and we kind of thought he might be going to Anaheim. We talked about this. Uh, you and I have been talking about it for weeks, but we considered him being a trade target of Bob Murray, but uh, clearly not. Uh, what were your thoughts on Vanek? Just kind of like before we hop into the first period. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of us near the end of the trade deadline wanted him to come over at least just for the Ducks to do something because we're all rumored. You know, we all saw the rumor for Pacioretty throughout the day. The Ducks were linked to Kane. None of those came to fruition, and then we're all like, okay, I mean, at least we can get Thomas Vanek. And then the Blue Jackets go out and get him, and, and you know, he looked okay in this game. Uh, I think the most memorable thing I really saw from him in this game is him crowding the front of the net and falling on top of John Gibson. So it's not like he made a huge impact, but. He's going to be one of those guys who provides a boost for the Blue Jackets when they make a playoff push, and it's kind of unfortunate we don't get to see him in a Ducks uniform, and our real two big acquisitions are both sitting on the fourth line. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, right? Bob Murray comes out and says that the team got faster, uh, but they collectively gained decades of age, um, which in turn turns into what uh, old-school hockey guys like to call veteran leadership, playoff experience, Yada, 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 voice in the room, get our guys geared up, uh, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it wasn't a move that I don't. I think that most fans were looking for. Um, I don't think it hurt the team necessarily, but I don't think it helped much way in uh, the scoring area that we were hoping to improve upon. But good news is they play in the game. Um, I didn't really notice Chris Kelly at all, and I noticed Jason Tremere a couple of times because he took a tripping penalty. Um, I mean, I think his stick got caught in a skate, so it's hard to fault the guy. But other than that, it wasn't too bad of a night for yeah. those guys. Yeah, and I mean, you can't expect much when they're only going to be playing about eight or nine minutes a night. And, and they got a bit of PK time, which you'd expect from these guys. I think they've played the PK a fair amount in their careers anyway. But it was overall a decent night, and at least you know we're not sitting here talking about how they had a turnover that led to a goal, or they're hemmed in their own their own zone for the majority of their shifts. Uh, like you said, I think Jason Jamar had a couple good chances. He had a uh, pretty good chance in the first period. We got a shot on the uh, on net, and Chris Kelly had a good drive to the net as well. So, I mean, they're making things happen. They were paired with Antoine Vermette, so it was kind of an old boys line, and, and really, they, they just kept the energy up all night, and I guess it was kind of a surprise you know we we didn't expect them to do well we kind of expected them to do bad and the fact that they didn't i think is is at least a, a good surprise if you can call it that yeah i mean they only played nine minutes and change uh, and vermette played just under nine minutes so they were they weren't utilized a lot so it wasn't going to be a huge problem um but let's hop into the first period uh this did not start out the way i thought it was going to i did not see the you know Columbus getting so many odd man chances. I felt like in the first ten minutes, you kept seeing breaks into the Ducks zone. Um, the Ducks kind of looking a little out of sorts, and that was like kind of like the story for the first half of the game, where Columbus was just on the rush, full pressure against Anaheim. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a, a very good start from the Blue Jackets. Uh, Wawenski and, and Panarin were were flying early on. Fowler and Montour were kind of caught out there. And then, you know, again, a little bit later, you got Gibby, who has to have a mini breakaway against uh, Bjorkstrand. 
and he gets a little bit of a, pork, uh, a poke check on him and, and really denies that play. So it was all Columbus early, and, and I mean, that was pretty much it for their contained pressure for the rest of the game because the Ducks really turned it on from that point. No, I felt like they were able to come back through, too. That, that first 10 minutes just kind of seemed like they were feeling it out. A few days yeah. off, maybe shake off the rust. I mean, they had a power play in that first period that I uh, I even tweeted out, like, you know, just, just, just sleepy. There was no Getzloff, the quarterback. Uh, you know, he's the guy who makes things happen on this team. This team's offense usually drives through him. So they definitely missed him out there on the power play. But the Ducks uh, continue to push. You saw a couple guys get dangled. Fowler, Patterson get dangled. Um, it just... The strangest thing I saw in this first period besides the goal, though, was Boschman behind the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, goal line. I don't know if you <laughs> saw that in the first period. Yeah. But he's able to center a puck out, gets Silverberg, who's been snake bit. Bob gets the uh, Bobrovsky, it's called Bob, gets the cover. Um, yeah, obviously the Ducks were trying to get some pressure on, but then Milano for Columbus would push in a rebound. I think, I think Chimera was out there that missed his check. Uh, but Jenner was in front of the net, kind of kicks the puck to the slot. Nothing but net, no chance for Gibby. It's one nothing Columbus. Yeah, it's a pretty favorable rebound for Milano. I mean, like you said, not much Gibby could do. Crowd in front, and, and it just deflects right out to Milano. And, and you're right, it was Chimera who did miss his assignment on that play. But again, it was a scramble in front of that. You can't really blame him for that one. I don't think anybody thought the puck was going to squirt out right to him. But hey, right. I mean, he's been money on the spot. Uh, for Columbus for most of the season, and he was there in that one. And it was kind of, you know, the way Columbus played it at the beginning of the first period, it was still kind of an undeserved goal, I, I feel, because the Ducks were starting to turn the tide on, on the first period, and then, you know, of course this happens to them. Yeah, but the good news is, man, 38 seconds later, Fowler with the, the timely pinch in the offensive zone, Gets the puck, centers it, and banks off Bobrovsky right to Raquel, who's streaking through the low slot. And did he, like, backhand one time to top shelf and bar down? Um, that was beautiful. Perry and Fowler with the helpers on that goal. Raquel's 26. That guy is on fire right now. He's everything for Anaheim that they need for this offense, right? And it, it was yeah. great to see that play happen. I, I love that shot. I just was like, he went bar down? Holy crap. Because it, <laughs> it was like a bang-bang play from the half wall to him. Yeah, I mean, that's really what I was going to say, too, is he's just been on fire. And, and that's what uh, Hayward was saying as well. The, the fact he's coming off a hat trick, he comes into this game, gets another goal, was excellent for the entire game, was the Ducks' best player. And we needed that, really, with Getzloff out of the lineup. You needed Raquel to get things going offensively. Uh, and to get one right after the Milano goal, I think, was huge because, you know, the Ducks kind of turned the play around a little bit before that uh, goal for Raquel. And then from there on, it just seemed like, you know, they felt like they were comfortable, they are in the game, and it really looked like Columbus was the team that played last night. No, absolutely. And they should, right? The Ducks got to put yeah. that pressure on. Raquel was all over the ice in the first period. Those uh, those few days off actually did him some, some good, it looked like. But the Ducks did get out of the first period 1-1. Shots tied also at 12 apiece. Going to the second period, Ducks with an early power play looked way, way better than the first oh, yeah. period. That Fowler-Montour pairing, who's been pretty good of late, um, was I think they were creating all the chances there for that first power play unit. I mean, this is a pairing that we've seen kind of come along rather recently, especially with with uh, BX being uh, scratched. And I just I felt like this pairing looked really good tonight, and that that power play in particular was nice to see uh, Montour getting his uh, his quarterback position up there with Fowler. 
Yeah, and how nice is it to see that pair finally gelling together? You know, so many people wanted them to go together for the longest time, and it was really always going to be Montour, Boschman, Fowler, Bieksa. And then you call it Pedersen, and it just shuffles everything up. And it's it's been such a blessing for the Ducks to be able to split up Lindholm and Manson. I know that's something you would have never thought you would say earlier on in the season, especially how well they've always been together. But it's allowed Fowler and Montour to, to be together. It's allowed Pedersen to come up and play with Manson. And they were pretty good tonight as well. But, I mean, Fowler and Montour just emerging as, as such a great pairing as of late. They've finally gotten comfortable together. And, and like you said, they just dominated that first power play shift. And, and Montour being on, on that strong side where he can get off one-timers, I mean, he had a great chance on that power play. And he just missed, so... I mean, it's great to see him finally starting to play the way we expect of him. No, absolutely. There was, you know, not a lot of offense in between this. And then it just it seemed like things started to get super chippy midway through the second before uh, the Ducks would take a penalty. Manson with a big hit and he gets another big hit on Jones, but it was interference. Jones didn't touch it. Um, Gibby with a big stop early on and on the penalty kill. But then Cogliano finally gets a freaking goal on a breakaway he's in or i guess i mean it looked like panarin whiffed on the inside of the blue line cogs goes in shorthanded goes five hole as you uh started talking about earlier in the in the, in the pregame and beats Bobrovsky, makes it 2-1 it was his first goal i think in 15 games and they said he had 15 shorthanded goals i you gotta excuse me i was screaming because i was like so happy for cogliano <laughs> to finally hit the back of the darn net it's been so long for that guy yeah, well, I, I mean, how many sh- times have he, has he been on a break where we're like, okay, well, it's Cogliano, this is definitely not going in the back of the net, and he makes a good play. I mean, like I said earlier at the beginning of the show, they must have had the book on Bobrovsky in this one because he scores shorthanded on, uh, through five-hole, Manson scores five-hole on Bobrovsky on the next goal, and like... I mean, these guys must have had some kind of play from from the, the goaltending coach or, or from Carla or something to, to say, hey, you know, guys, go go five hole on Bobrovsky tonight. It's going to work. And it's nice for Cogliano. I mean, he started so strong at the beginning of the season for him to pick up a goal. Like you said, might be his first in 15 games. Don't quote us on that. But it definitely feels like it. So it's nice for him to finally get one on the board. Yeah, and then not too long after that on the same power play, Columbus with just a ton of pressure. They kind of get caught in the duck zone, if that makes sense. And then the pass gets uh, knocked out of the duck zone. I believe that play was made by, I want to say, Bosham, and then ended up getting the puck out of the zone just in time for Josh Manson to come out of the box, gets the puck, as you just said, goes 5 fall on Bob, and it's 3-1 Anaheim before you know it. Um, it's like we talked about, too, man, like, He's got to have played forward at some point in his career. I think he has. Um, he's he's got moves. Maybe he's, like I said, he's, maybe he's going to pull out that Brent Burns and start making some goals happen for Anaheim because they need him. But it was nice to see the Ducks get those two goals. They they really needed this win. They're fighting uh, so many other teams because everyone's stacked right now in the Pacific Division or the Western Conference in general. So they had to eke out this win, and it was just just a heck of a second period. Yeah, I mean, Manson might be the new breakaway king. I mean, we've seen him have two breakaways so far this season, and he's cashed in on both of them. So maybe he's the uh, the new Andre Cash, and especially is just putting five hole. And <laughs> and maybe we'll get to see him put forward. He'll be our, our deadline acquisition that we didn't know we needed up, up in the top six. <laughs> what is, I'm okay with that as long as it doesn't mean that BX comes back in the lineup and plays in a yeah. spot. Yeah, we can't have that. You got to keep Manson on the blue line if we're going to fast going to be the issue. Um, but like as we talked about earlier, a few minutes ago, this game got just super intense for whatever reason. I know this team is they kind of got into each other last game, 
that they played against each other with bumping into Gibby and all that. But uh, it kind of started to happen again here in suing play when everyone was tweeting out the gif of, uh, of Cam Fowler flying in. Um, that was hilarious. That that whole thing, everyone goes nuts. It all started with Cogliano and du- I think it's Dubois slash each other. And then some, for some reason, Cogliano looks like he's a, just a tiny, tiny human being next to Dubois. Yeah. <laughs> and he drops the gloves and tries to go. Everyone goes crazy. Kessler goes nuts. But uh, Fowler went a little overboard. I mean, he got excited. <laughs> he wanted in. <laughs> he wanted in on the action. But I mean, there really were no real fights in that. It was just kind of yeah. There was nothing. Brawl. Yeah, like there was nobody really dropped the gloves and, and started dishing punches out. But it, it was kind of just a brawl. And like you said, I mean, I, I saw that too. Dubois standing next to Cogliano because Dubois is a big kid. Uh, Cognano is not small by any means, but standing next to Dubois, he he looked pretty short. So that was—I don't know if he picked his fight right on, on that one. Because if they actually had gotten a scuffle, I would—I would have been a little bit worried for Cognano. Well, it was Hayward or Allers that said like, "Oh, they list Cognano." I think it was like five ten, and he was like, "I don't think he's five ten. He just didn't look like he, like he was in a uh, in a professional hockey. Looked like he was like yeah. playing Bantam <laughs> or something against uh against adults, but." Good thing he didn't get clocked. Um, someone was trying to say on Twitter that like looked like Fowler threw a punch. He didn't. He was like trying to wrap. Like, he leapt and then tried to wrap his arms around Dubois and missed. And then luckily didn't hit his face on the ice and didn't get yeah. his hand stepped on by somebody. Um, I don't think he was throwing a punch. I, I, someone mentioned it on uh, Eric Stevens' Twitter, and they're like, "Oh, he could have been could have been suspended." I was like, "For what? <laughs> <laughs> For hitting his face on the ice? Like that's all the worst that would happen." He's, he's learning from yeah. Alexa. <laughs> Maybe it was the angle they saw. I don't know. I didn't see a punch out of that. But uh, the Ducks would get out of that first period. Um, the only thing that ever really happened at, towards the end of that was uh, Boschman kind of got walked on there by Fol- by Folino at the end. Gibby, of course, makes that save. Period comes to a close. Three one Ducks. Shots at this point are 26-22. Head into the third, and it was kind of like a, a lockdown situation for Anaheim. I felt like they kind of put the brakes on offense for the most part. Yeah, and, and you know they're kind of sitting back, which we're used to seeing, I think, when the Ducks take a lead into the third period, and obviously at times it's come back to hurt them. But they kind of did it the right way this time. I, I think they played well defensively. They didn't shut down. They, they didn't let... Uh, Columbus walk in, in across the blue line. They they kind of clogged up the neutral zone, and they did a good job of preventing offense from Columbus for the most part of the third period. And, and I think that's what they need to start doing when they go into the third period with a lead because we haven't seen it that much from them this season. No. And the, the good news is is they kind of went and were on their heels for a bit, but they end up getting another goal. I mean, and Kessler almost gets one in this period too. Kessler yeah. hits the post. Um Fowler ends up getting one from the blue line. I don't think Bobrovsky even saw what that puck was. I was talking to you. We were discussing like what we're going to do in the, our pregame here, and I'm like, oh, hey, 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 Fowler got one. This game was winding <laughs> down. The Ducks got another one. Yeah, and, and it's nice to see Fowler get on the board too because we talked about how him and Montour have been so good tonight. They weren't really getting any offense through past Bobrovsky, though, and, and for him to, to get one in, in this game was great because it, it's nice to see these guys getting together. I mean, maybe we see Lindholm and Manson get paired back together just because of how well Fowler and Montour are going together because it would be nice to have two pairings that we can throw out there that, that are just playing well. And, and who would have thought that it's coming from the guys we still already had in the lineup? We just need to shuffle around who we already had. Yeah, you know, I think... I think um... 
I think Lindholm and Anson played the majority of the game together this game, though. I think Pedersen was out there with Bosch. Like they started, right? I think they started Pedersen with Manson like normal, and then I believe I saw a tweet early on in the game where they had shuffled it and and Lindholm and Manson were put together. I'd have to double check on that, but I, I think you're right. And and I mean, it turned out well in this game. It, it worked out for the Ducks. And who would have thought putting out two top pairings together and if they're going to play well, it's going to lead to success. Yeah, no, it worked out great. The the Werwinski would get one at the end here, make it four to two, but. Um, after that, they would pull their goalie, have an empty net. They got a couple of looks, but I felt like Columbus wasn't wasn't getting the grade-A opportunities that you would expect from a team uh, with a pull goalie. So all is well that ends well in Anaheim. Ducks get that 4-2 win. Oh, before I forget, did everyone not hold their collective breath when Vanek fell on Gibby <laughs> at the end of that third period? I, I, wanted to, I didn't want to forget that. I just saw that note. I'm like, oh, yeah, Gibby. I thought he was going to get hurt because the yeah. way that guy fell back on a Vanek fell back and fell right on his legs. I was like, oh, come on. We like, wouldn't be are we going to get a break? Yeah. With 17 I mean, games to go, on. like we can't have that. Yeah. At this point, I think any time anybody falls on Gibson, skates by him. I mean, look at the Riley Smith injury. I mean, that looked like nothing. And obviously he clips Gibby and he got hurt. Luckily he wasn't out long. He comes back in this one. I think anytime he goes down, gets up slow, everybody's going to be holding their breath. I mean, we put out a, a tweet on our Twitter uh, about the fact that everybody's internally screaming when Vanek falls on Gibby because we're all afraid he's going to be hurt. I, I mean, look at uh, how the Ducks have played when he's out of the lineup. It's, it's tough to rely on Miller all the time. And, I mean, the way Gibby's played all season, I mean, leading up to this game, He's been on fire in his last five starts, and he continued that in this one. So we, they need him. I mean, they need him. Every time he goes down, everybody in Ducks Nation is going to be holding their breath. No, I know I was. That's what I saw. Um, and then I thought there was going to be some rough stuff there, too, with Richie tried to get involved with Dubois, but it didn't happen. And the game ends up ending. Nothing nothing goes on here. Uh, physically, after, the, after the, the final horn, Ducks get the win, a much-needed win. Um, did they get some help in the standings? You had the standings popped up. I kind of want to see where the yeah. Ducks are looking right now. Let's well, check I mean, that we out. Looked yesterday, and I was like, okay, hopefully, you know, they can pick up some points here. San Jose could lose against Chicago, and Chicago continually lets us down and <laughs> loses seven to the Sharks. Blue Jackets lost five two to the Kings, which obviously didn't help. And looking tonight, they did. Get oh, some we're back help. at a wild card spot. Yeah, because the Rangers beat the Flames, so that's helpful. I, and I, I guess kind of helpful but not helpful, the Avalanche beat the Minnesota Wild. I think any outcome in that game is not ideal because both teams are kind of fighting for that final wild card spot with the, with the Ducks. I think the Avalanche win almost hurts them more than it does if Minnesota won that game. So, I, I mean, the good thing is Calgary losing, and Calgary hasn't been playing well as of late. So now, you know, Calgary's not out of it by any means, but you're kind of just fighting with L.A. and San Jose, especially how well all three teams have been playing. And, of course, it's going to come down to the three California teams for the final two spots in the Pacific Division. And maybe, just maybe, we didn't think this would happen two weeks ago, but it looks like a Pacific team might actually get in to that final wildcard spot because of how bad the St. Louis Blues have been playing. It's amazing how bad St. Louis has been. They fell off a cliff. They have yeah. not looked good at all. So that's that's really good news for the, for Ducks fans. Um, the other good news is is I was talking to my buddy about this, and he was like, "Why are the Ducks? It always seems like 
and it probably seems like this to every fan base, but I mean, I, you see it more because it's your team. Yeah. But I always feel like the Ducks never have games in hand. Like they're always ahead yeah. of everybody in the schedule. So if they go on a losing streak and they've played five more games than everybody, it's a problem. And that was part of the problem this week is that happened. Um, but now the Ducks have a game at hand on Calgary. So that's good. That's a you know Pacific Division rival that's now behind the Ducks by three points. Uh, but like you said, you got to worry about everybody in the West when you're talking about a wild card spot. So the Ducks have a chance to leapfrog back and be ahead of L.A. Uh, if they yeah. win their next game and L.A. loses. So that'll be a good thing. Ducks right in the thick of things. Uh, there's there's really no room to breathe. They just have to put the foot on the pedal and like race across the finish line. And you can't coast. Um, you just they can't take a day off. There's just there's no way. This is what you live for, though, right? This is the type of hockey you live to to play to to fight in these battles. I mean, we've been lucky the last five seasons, and, and the Ducks have made it interesting. But they've won the Pacific Division five times in a row. I yeah, mean, man, all those awesome trophies that no one cares about. <laughs> yeah, but all the, those we, cool banners to some some pretty good hockey, and you know, not so many worries come the end of the season. And it's kind of a little bit different so far. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us think the Ducks are going to go on a run and catch Vegas unless Vegas fell off a cliff, which doesn't look like it's going to happen. So it's going to be a fight with San Jose and L.A. And, and again, our hopes tomorrow fall on the Chicago Blackhawks of all teams to come oh boy. And try and beat the L.A. Kings after getting thrashed by San Jose. And that's probably not going to happen. So it, it's really up to the Ducks. You can't scoreboard watch. You can't hope that San Jose or L.A. are going to lose games because they're, they're in the same position as you. They're going to be fighting to win every game they can. And, and everybody's playing well right now. So the Ducks have to, to really not pay attention to that game, look forward to the next game, and give it their all. And I loved their effort in this game. The Columbus is a good team. Yes, they were missing Wenberg in this one, but everybody else was pretty much there. You're facing their top goalie in Bobrovsky, and you end up winning 4-1. to one. And, and I think it was one of their stronger games in a while, and it's a nice rebound after a couple of disappointing games before the trade deadline. No, I absolutely agree with you. But I, I want to throw a, a side note out there. I know Vegas is several. I think they're almost, what, they're 10 points, 11 points ahead of Anaheim, right? Yeah. Um <laughs> They're actually 5-4-1 right now. I've lost two in a row. So how about that? I'm they, not going to say uh, the wheels are falling off the bus yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I just, I've been waiting for them to slump all year, man. Like I've been telling people they're finally going to slump. Come on. They're going to slump. They're not going to make the playoffs. There's no way. Now, okay, now they're leading the division. Okay, they're going to make the playoffs. Are they going to beat anybody in the playoffs? Yeah, probably not. And then you see them play the rest of this year, and you're like, yeah, they're probably going to win around. Like they're just playing that yeah. well. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, this is, like you said, it's a time you live for, but I don't think I have any fingernails left heading into the like the final stretch here. There's you know, 17 games left. The Ducks have to win the majority of them. Um, another minor scare that happened that I didn't see until the replay in this game, though, was Corey Perry getting a knee-on-knee hit in the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Off. Like, I just got it on Twitter. I, I think Eric Stevens had put out a tweet, and you know I was in the midst of a GIF scramble to put up, to put up GIFs on our Twitter. And all I see is, oh, Corey Perry's back on the ice for the second period. I'm like, well, what happened to him? I, <laughs> where did he go? And then I, I looked it up a bit, and I, I guess he had a knee-on-knee in the corner. And, I mean, Corey Perry always seems to come back from things like that. I think how many scary knee-on-knee hits have we seen Corey Perry come back from either in the same Lots. game or the next game or the next day we hear that he's fine. And, and some of them have looked awful. Some of them look really bad. That one wasn't too bad, but we've seen some really bad ones that he's come back from in the same game. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not surprised he's back, but it's tough to say right now. I, I, I kind of want to bring this up to you. 
Because in the past, Perry going out is huge. And I'm not going to say you never want anybody to get injured and you never you don't want to really want to really want to judge and say if one guy gets injured it's a bigger, you know, a bigger thing than another guy, but how big is a Corey Perry injury, a long-term injury for the Ducks right now? How how much does that affect them? Um, I think it absolutely affects them uh, in terms of how much. If you're talking playoff standards, as much as I dog on that guy for not being mobile anymore and having he's having lost a step or two in the NHL, um, he's been able to put up some big-time goals. I mean, last season of the playoffs, I mean, talk about Edmonton, right? Ducks play Edmonton game five. He comes out and gets that goal. I think he also had an overtime goal against the Flames in the round before that. Um, so you can say what you want. I know that I, I trash the guy a lot for not being the, the, the goal scoring per hour, like per hour that he's always been in his career, but we all know that Corey Perry's gone. There's no more hundred points. There's no more 50 goal seasons. Uh, we're past that. I mean, Hayward, I think said that he has to, he's seen, he wears like knee braces on both knees or has He made a comment about his knees to, in tonight's game. But, uh, to answer your question fully, I think it's a big loss because I mean, who are you going to bring up and, and slot in? Yeah, that has exactly, that has yeah. that that game breaking potential. I mean, yeah, he may not be the the most ultra consistent guy, but he does come up big in big games, or at least he has. So I mean, that's something that I don't want to lose come playoff time. As much as I like to dog on that guy, yeah, I I think you're right. I, I mean, I don't think it's as big as a loss from back in the day when Perry was the dominant force that he is. But it, it's you know, like you said, you can't really replace him even even with him not playing up to the standards we've expected from Corey Perry of old. So it still would be a huge loss. And, I mean, he's he's a guy who can gut it out no matter what. I mean, the Ducks have a ton of those guys in their roster. Coglano obviously being the number one because, I mean, without the suspension, his Ironman streak is still ongoing. So uh, I think we're used to it from him. And Yeah, I mean, who who do you really call up at that point to to kind of give the same type of, of offensive production that Corey Perry is going to give? There's really no one. I mean, you can call up Kevin Waugh. You can call up. Cali Costello, you can call up Nick Cordillis, but again, they're not going to make that same type of impact that Corey Perry has, especially playing on the top line with Getzlaff and Raquel. Yeah, that's the scary part is there's no one to call up. Yeah. I mean, as, as deep as everyone likes to talk about uh, Anaheim's farm system, that's mostly on the blue line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got guys that are coming around. You talk about a, a, a Steel or a Max Jones, or a Comtois. But those guys are several seasons out, I think. I think Steele might be the closest yeah. uh, to being a full-time NHLer. I mean, there's a possibility he makes a roster next camp. But, I mean, beyond him, you got to wait a little bit for Jones, I feel like. Um, there's really not anybody on the forward lines that you could talk about coming in and stepping in for, for a guy like that. I just I just don't see it. Um, that's, that's what everyone was kind of surprised about. Uh, let's get into some of the, like uh, what happened to the deadline and what didn't ha- happen to the deadline. Um, that's what I was surprised about with what Bob Murray did. He made the team older. Yeah. He said he made the team faster. Um, like I said, it didn't really hurt the team, but it, I don't think it really did anything to inject offense in this team. How do you feel about Bob's moves, and where do you think this puts Anaheim? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how long I've talked about this since trade deadline, but we did a a five-hour live show on Ducks and Pucks. Oh, on Ducks and Pucks? And it was just, it was a journey, to say the least, because it was, uh, you know, it started pretty slow, like every trade deadline does, and then you get to the three-hour mark, and you're like, okay, things are starting to pick up. And then, of course, I think we all remember, it might have been Frank Cervelli, but somebody, or John Shannon, I think, had tweeted out that the Ducks have interest in Max Pacioretty. And from there, until the end of the trade deadline, it was just panic. 
panic everywhere, looking through tweets, reading tweets, and, and then, of course, nothing happens, and, and the big deal was the Ducks traded Chris Wagner for, for Chimera. But, you know, getting to your question, it they didn't do anything, really. I, I mean, I think it was a lateral trade, at, at, to say the least. I mean, Wagner essentially provides the same type of impact that you're going to get from a guy like Chimera and Chris Kelly. I don't want to rip on him too hard because he did have a decent game for a fourth liner. He didn't really make any mistakes that that I saw, glaring mistakes at least. So they had decent debuts, but really the Ducks could have benefited from going out and, and spending big and getting a guy like Evander Kane who didn't cost the Sharks that much and go or going out even spending big and getting a guy like Max Pacioretty, which ended up it didn't materialize. But they're just missing still that key piece, and it's just a disappointing deadline to walk away from. And I don't want to discredit Murray and all the work that he's done for the Ducks to get them to the point they're at now, but they had—I mean, they had to do something, right? We all felt they had to do something, and to come away with nothing—that—I mean, this is one of the most disappointing deadlines I think in a while. You know, I have to—I have to agree for the most part with you there. I mean, but Bob did come out and say—I mean, he did an interview with Custance on the Athletic, and he said, "Yeah, I'm waiting for them to show me something. Like they need to show me. Like, are we a playoff team? Are we not a playoff team? Essentially." And they're right there in the mix. And so, but I think my thinking is if they're right there, you couldn't have flipped a pick. Yeah. And if and you couldn't have flipped a prospect and brought in, and I know he's got whatever off ice baggage he has going on in Buffalo, but an Evander Kane, you got to let a rival take him um, and just make their team stronger. Too. I mean, it was, it a, was nothing. And a fourth, possibly a first. If he re-signs, and even I mean, if he re-signs, essentially the value is 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 worth it, even if it's a first-round pick for a guy like Evander Kane. He's done well. He's playing on a line with Pavelski. Imagine him playing up on a line with Raquel and, and Getzloff. How well he would do, and and you know, yeah, you have to give up a first, but we gave up a conditional second for Patrick Eves, and then all the else they included was uh, was a fourth and and Daniel Regan, who I don't know much about him, but I don't think he's a, he's definitely not an elite prospect. So I mean, twenty-two NHL games, four assists. Yeah. So the Ducks could and he's have twenty-four. That. I mean, what what does that take? You think it takes the same conditional pick, a fourth, and to I mean, even even I think Kevin Waugh is probably a better prospect than Danny O'Regan, but I still think that gets the deal done. And for you not to go out and just even do that for you, you he had to have known the price on Kane was low, especially getting that late in the day. And you know that's the that's one of the most disappointing things to me. Everybody in our chat on that live show was like, "How do you not, how do you not compete in a deal like that? Especially when it's San Jose, the team that he ends up going to." I don't know. It's uh, what was funny about it too is uh, Botterill, uh, the GM in Buffalo, said that nobody he got no offers other than that. Like, yeah. Really, yeah. really, you got nothing? I believe that was the quote. He, there was no offers. Other that's there. That's the best offer they got, or that is either no Murray offers or that was in, the best offer. Was Murray in on Patch ready like that deep where he was like, I'm not looking at anything else. I'm trying to get this done. That's the only way I could think of that you didn't. You wouldn't want to go out and move that pick if you think you can go out and get a big fish, and it just didn't materialize. But then we saw the tweets that Bergeron was saying there was really no solid offers for Pacioretty. So what was he doing? Was he sleeping? <laughs> like really? You can't trust. You can't trust GMs, man. They, yeah. they they love they love to lie. I mean, look what happened yeah, with exactly. uh, with Dorian over in Ottawa. You know, everything's great. Everything's great with Carlson. What are you talking about? What are you? Everything's great. We have no problems. But then the news comes out that George McPhee offered like six pieces yeah. in order to get Carlson. But uh, they were trying to like make it less. And what held up that deal was Bobby Ryan. 
which is you got to feel bad for Bobby Ryan because like he's like the cause of Eric Carlson not being able to be moved because yeah. nobody wants to take on his seven million dollar contract. Uh, once beloved player here in Anaheim, I used to love him playing on the Ducks. By the way, I think uh, a lot of people did <laughs> <laughs> like Bobby playing here. Uh, but yeah. So you can't really trust the GMs on that end, but I just have a hard time believing that Murray couldn't find it somewhere to help push this team over the hump. Um, and I know that he was really counting on Patrick Eves being a force. Obviously, he resigned him to that three-year deal. Unfortunately, Eves is still out uh, with his illness, and uh, hopefully he comes back at some point in his career. I mean, obviously his health is more important than hockey, but if we're talking Ducks hockey right now, they need a shot in the arm, and I, I feel like Chris Kelly and Jason Chimera were not it. And Murray's excuse was it brings leadership into the locker room. That's great. Cool. I don't know how much you can yell in the locker room about scoring goals. But those, like you said, they didn't really make a difference. They played nine minutes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, who are they talking to? Is it? Do they go and tell Ricard Raquel to make sure he goes backhand bar down in uh, in the game to make sure the game's tied before the end of the first period? No. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just not real sure. And people disagree with me, and I understand. I'm not really sure how much all this leadership translates into winning. I mean, just ask ask a Team USA uh, <laughs> yeah. when they decide who did not take to uh, the World Cup or who did not take to uh, or, the, or was it the World Cup of Hockey, NHL's World Cup of Hockey, and then yeah. who they did not decide to take to the Olympics. Just saying. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, and and there's no way, no matter how well Chris Kelly and Jason Schmier play, there's no way they're gonna have a big enough impact on this team to make a, a huge difference, uh, barring them scoring a significant playoff goal, like an overtime winner. But you rarely can see them out there in an opportunity like that anyway. And, and I just – I think another thing that's disappointing, we talked about Vanek at the beginning of the show. You look at the price he went for. It was a couple prospects. It wasn't – and it was like – I think it was UC Jokinen. And, <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. I mean, he's been – That's team. fourth team this year where he's been moved to. Uh, he's got he's he's packing light for sure. He's not he doesn't have too many suitcases. The fact that he's been moved four times already, but but yeah, I mean, come on, the, you couldn't give up a, a similar return of Yusi Okunin and like a B or C prospect for Thomas Vanek and at least bring him in and, and help out because I think you know we you and me talked before uh, that he could have at least provided a spark for the Ducks top nine rather than bringing in Jason Chimera and Chris Kelly and hoping that that works out. Well, yeah, let's talk about exactly what Vanek is. And I know you probably talked at nauseum about it on your Ducks and Puck show, but he's all offense. Like, you can't count on that guy to backtrack. He's not going to be a penalty killer. Like, Vanek is 100% playing offense, power play. Like, that's what he is. That's exactly the guy that Ducks need on wing. They need a guy that's all offense right now, provide another scoring threat. So, I, I know we're a Ducks podcast, but how the heck does Jim Benning have a job? In Vancouver, how did he not get? How, how did he not get picks for Vanek? He got the he got UC yeah. Okun and whoever. Just hysterical to me. And like well, you said, Bob couldn't have given a pick. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, Benning uh, gets an extension, and no, well, yeah, that extension. But I mean, the GMs who got extensions. Oh, Benning gets yeah. an extension, and Pierre Dorian getting extensions. Like they did nothing. Like Dorian traded uh, for Burroughs. And he traded Jonathan Dallin for Burroughs, who's a pretty good B-plus prospect and is doing very well in Sweden right now. And you've got Burroughs for him. Straight up, hockey deal for Burroughs. And he gets an extension, doesn't deal Carlson, trades the moon for Duchesne, which has actually started to finally look like it's working out for them. 
And then again, you look at Jim Benning and the deals he's made, trading for Good Branson in the first place, and then continuing to try and go with that experiment and re-signing him, and then also getting an extension of his own. I don't know. I don't know what. To, I mean, is it loyalty? It has to be loyalty. Like, come on. There's there's no way these guys earned an extension from, from hockey moves. I, I guess, like I said on my on uh, on podcast show, man. Just I'll, I'll be a GM. I'm I'll be really really good at it too. It's. <laughs> I'm not part of the old boys club, so man, I'm not going to get any. You know, I'm not going to be able to uh, to swindle anybody out of any deals. But maybe I will because I mean they trade just about anybody for anything. It seems like um, <laughs> I still feel like I could be a GM in, in the NHL. I mean, obviously not, but I mean, in my yeah, I've logged a significant amount of time on on be a GM in NHL. So oh, I me feel too. like I have oh, enough yeah. experience to at least rival what Pierre Dorian's doing in Ottawa. I, I feel like I could get it done. I feel like I get that Carlson deal done. Easily, easily, and not even having the game set on rookie. So I think you could do it yeah. too. Um, so I gotta to wrap up the uh, the trade deadline stuff about who we could add to this team. Were you not super excited at the defensive player the Ducks were looking to pick up? Ian, Cole? do you remember who they were looking at? No, not Ian Cole. I, I think like it was it's... Jack Johnson. Oh, the Ducks oh. were looking to pick up oh, Jack no, Johnson. Don't bring that up. Please, <laughs> <laughs> they were looking to fill the hole of well, Kevin BX's bad play with Jack Johnson. Here, if Anaheim. we're talking about Jack Johnson, I'm pretty sure we had Jack Johnson in our chat on the trade deadline show because we had a guy for literally three and a half hours of the show hyping up Jack Johnson like I've never seen anybody hype a player before, and I feel like the only person you could hype a player like that is is that player. So I feel like Jack Johnson was definitely in our chat, hyping or himself up, talking about his, his playoff experience and his power play points in the playoffs and how he's almost a, a point per game apparently uh, <laughs> on the power play in the playoffs. So, I mean, he was he was going hard. He, he really wanted the Ducks to get Jack Johnson, did not like how we were bringing up his negative, almost abysmal uh possession numbers with Columbus per, for pretty much his entire career, even going dating back to when he was with the Kings. But, yeah, that was awful. I, I just think, you know, what was the return going to be? That's what was what I was wondering. Like, what, what do you get for a guy like Jack Johnson, who is a, a former first-round pick, pretty high pick, too? Uh, I, I imagine it would have been picks. It would have yeah, been picks. Probably more than he's worth, definitely. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, all, all hockey aside, I feel bad for that guy, his, his personal story with his family and all. Yeah, but uh, but what's going on with him as a hockey player? He just he would not help the Ducks. So I was really happy to see Bob not flip picks for him. Um, I would have been disappointed if he did because he could have used those picks for people we just talked about. But uh, let's move on from the deadlocks. I know we, I, that was several days ago, but I had to talk to you about that a little bit to see who could, the Ducks could 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 have, could have added to their lineup to go forward here in the, towards the playoffs. Let's look ahead anyway, though. We've got two more games in the homestand, and then. Uh, Back-to-backs on the road to wrap up this upcoming week. Got Chicago at home. We have like an early game, a 1 p.m. start this Sunday. And then we have the ever-dangerous Ovechkin, who was coming to Anaheim here on Tuesday with the Washington Capitals. And then the Ducks have a, like I said, a back-to-back mini road trip between uh, the Predators on Thursday and the Dallas Stars on Friday. That's That's a dangerous week outside of Chicago. Yeah, uh, and I mean, especially the way Chicago has been playing lately, getting thrashed by San Jose, probably going to have a tough game 
against LA. Watch, they'll bring their A game against the Ducks and play a tough game because they always play. They a always tough do. Game. Yeah, they always play a tough game against Anaheim. I think the luckiest thing is it's not at United Center, which is nice. It's it's at Honda Center, so that's going to be big. Kind of turns the tide a bit, but we're still going to see a ton of Chicago fans there, probably like we always do. The so, Sea of Red, yeah, every Ducks home game. I mean, pretty much anywhere they travel as well as any team in the National Hockey League. There, there's yep. always uh, there's always somebody there. They're pretty much like the Leafs or the Habs, where you you know there's a majority of them in any arena you go to. But you're right, that's probably the easier game. It's an early one. It's against a team who's struggling. You kind of expect to win that one. But then after that, like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, those are tough matchups. Washington's in a, a fight right now. They were kind of free and clear in the beginning part of the season and then they've struggled and now Pittsburgh and and uh and the Flyers have caught up to them and I think they've passed them or they're close to passing them it's it's kind of a log jam out in in the in the metro right now but that road trip or the mini road trip as you called it on Thursday Friday back to back against Nashville Dallas that's deadly that's a killer road trip that Nashville team is scary man yeah. I don't. I don't know how much I like that uh, for the Ducks. Obviously, playing it's that's that's going to be just a uh, probably a gong show to be honest with you, one way or the other. Uh, it, physically, it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, offensively, those Preds are a nightmare. The Ducks need to come in with their best defensive game here, and it's. I think they're probably going to try to hope to contain the Predators and make it a low-scoring game if they can. Yeah. That's what I would kind of see it go as because that team's just can. full of speed. <laughs> Yeah, that blue line's right up there with anybody else in the league. I mean, easily. Five assists in this last game, just exploding out of nowhere. And I think underrated, they made one of the better acquisitions of the deadline, going out and getting Ryan Hartman from Chicago. I mean, he's only twenty-three, tenacious forechecker, provides offense. I believe he's already scored his first goal, and I think it was a game winner in the game against Winnipeg. Which that game was insane. Anyway, it's a six-five game that. Nashville came back in the third period from being down five to three, and and they've just made a difference. And if this team couldn't get any better, they've got one of the better uh, young prospects outside the NHL right now, in Eli Tolvin, who's going to come over and play for this team for the rest of the season in playoffs whenever he decides, because the KHL season is over now, so he can come over pretty much whenever he wants. I mean, if the, are you, you sure know, he's going to be able to fit in since they brought in their secret weapon, Mike Fisher, out of retirement? <laughs> yeah, I I think. I think Mike Fisher can move over to let this kid in the lineup. But, I mean, the rich get richer, really, right? Like, Nashville no, is stacked always. already. And then they get a guy that already fell to them at 30 last year in the draft. Had has had one of the best under-20 seasons in the KHL ever. And can come over this year and help you. I mean, you know, you get already get Ryan Hartman, which you give up your first-round pick. But that's presumably a very, very late first-round pick for Nashville. And then... You add Eli Tolvin and you, you kind of bolster your top nine and the top six by paying almost nothing. You pay nothing to get Tolvin in over here, and you just pay up a first-round pick and a little bit more to get Ryan Hartman. They're going to be scary, and, and it almost trumps, I think, what Tampa Bay did. I don't want to get back to the trade deadline. I don't want to get off topic too much, but it's just a very, very scary team in Nashville. And then the other team on the, on the second half of that back-to-back is a team that did, I mean, if you could say less than Bob Murray in the deadline, it would be Dallas. They did yeah. nothing. They stood pat on everybody. They didn't bring anybody in. Um, a lot of pundits were surprised they didn't bring in somebody to help scoring on that team. I don't know. I think that team's scary as is. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, Bishop's on and off, on and off. I mean, he's not the scariest goaltender that you would have to face. But the rest of that team, I mean, you got to be careful. I know the Ducks beat them recently. But going into Dallas, I just, I don't know. I feel like Anaheim does not play that well in Dallas. I'd have to go look up their record. Yeah. But coming off a of back-to-back, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and they're starting to play well at this second half of the season. They were even playing well when the Ducks beat them 2-0 uh, on the 21st of February. So that was a tough matchup anyway. And it was a game I don't know if the Ducks necessarily deserved to win other than Ryan Miller. I think they're outshot like 41-17 to in that game. Um, and the, that top line is one of the best in the National Hockey League when you've got Sagan, Ben, and Radulov going over the boards. I, I mean, that's going to be tough to stop for anybody. And then you look at the knock that's been on the Dallas Stars for pretty much the last three seasons has been defense and goaltending. Well, they go out and get Ben Bishop, who, like you said, has been on and off this season, but has been pretty reliable for them. And then all of a sudden, Kari Lettinen, not forced to start, has actually started playing well, and he's a suitable backup, almost in the same role that Miller is for the Ducks and is actually playing some pretty good hockey. And then the blue line. I mean, they've got a Norris Trophy candidate in John Klingberg, and they brought up a bunch of young guys in Esla Adele and Julius Honka. They have, I believe, Mark Mathot is still there. And they've all of a sudden got, you know, six guys who are reliable to send over the boards. And what do you know? They're actually winning hockey games with a reliable defense. So they're a scary team to face, too. Yeah, you know, now that you bring up the uh, the last game that you said you don't know if the Ducks deserve to win, that was the, the goofy Getzloff goal where yeah. – uh, that was nuts where he flipped the puck into the zone and tipped it over Bishop, then roofed the puck up basically an empty net. Yeah. So expect a much better uh, Ken Hitchcock defensive team there in Dallas uh, coming up here on Friday. But um, that's the week. How do you think the Ducks plot this week? Man, I'm going to make you give a prediction. So they got four oh, games. Man. Let's. I'll run you through them right now. You just you have like three <laughs> seconds to Bob answer McKenzie each one. And just say I don't do predictions. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, we're not professionals. You don't get that. You don't get that fast. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Sunday game, Chicago, win or lose. Win. I'm gonna go win. All right. Capitals, win or lose. Uh, this this is a tough one because. I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling a little biased, and, and I think, you know, being at Honda Center, I'm going to go win. I don't even know if it's a back-to-back or not for Washington, which would help my opinion, but I'm just going to I'm gonna say win. I think at Honda Center, it's a big advantage. Okay, got Nashville on the road. That's a loss. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to say win. Man. I, I want it to I, be win. I want to say you gotta win. you got to take the but... beating on that one. You if can't I, go four and zero. If I say win, I'm a homer, right? So, so yeah. So, uh, barring a freak incident where Gibby gets hurt in these three games, you know he's going to be sitting Friday, and it's going to yeah. be Ryan Miller, right, against yeah. the Dallas Stars. How do the Ducks pull off a game there? I think they win or lose in Dallas. Worked out pretty well last time, but this is a tough one, like the Washington one. I think just because that game against Nashville is going to be so grinding, pretty much unless you get blown out, it's going to be a really physical, tough, draining game. Uh, I'm going to go a loss, but I'm, I'm going, they're going to grind it out overtime or a shootout. Oh, you're going win or yeah. loss. Sorry. Well, you said loss, but getting a point at least. Okay. Getting a so, point. So they finish two, one and one and their next four games, which is not bad. Okay, so we're not a complete Homer podcast. We did not pick a four and a week, or Eddie didn't pick a four and a week, so yeah. that's good. So we at least we have some. <laughs> we're not just going to sit here and be in an echo chamber and celebrate the Ducks are doing it all the time. Uh, but this this is a all Ducks podcast, so it makes sense to do that. But yeah, I can't see a win in Nashville. I just don't. That team is so good. Yeah. Um, 
can we just skip that game and go to Friday and play Dallas? That's yeah. <laughs> that's what I would like to do. Let's just well, let's call the league and forfeit, and <laughs> we'll go into the game against Dallas. So before we put a bow on this podcast, our inaugural episode for Forever Mighty, we got to talk about our leaderboard and a little yes. bit more about what to what to expect from us this season. Do you want to go and and, uh, and explain the leaderboard and then go over our standings, or you don't have them ready yet? No, I, I don't have the standings ready, but I tweeted out earlier today that I will have the standings will be out every morning after the night of a game. So I should follow our together. Twitter account. My bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come on. I mean, they all know, so you have to know. But I'll, I'm going to get into that. But I do want to say before we wrap this up, just because you can't see it, uh, we do have some questions in the chat. So after this, oh, we sweet. we have a, a couple people who are actually able to get through the sign in and come into the chat. So I'm gonna. We'll answer those after, but I'll get into the three stars thing. So if you guys didn't see this earlier, uh, we are doing a Forever Mighty three stars leaderboard inspired by the the Ducks three stars leaderboard. It's um, So we're going to have three questions or predictions before each game. Two of them are always going to be the same. It's always predicting the Ducks' first goal and the final score. Uh, and the third one's going to change every game just to kind of mix things up. Today was how many penalties will the Ducks take. Uh, for the next game, will be something different. Uh, we were going to go with how many turnovers will be X to have for this game. Of course, he got scratched, so that, that kind of scratched that idea. But, yeah, I mean, it's been good so far. We had a lot of you guys enter. I, I was a little surprised. I think we had over 20, maybe 25 people enter the first day. Um, so we'll be back for the game against Chicago and then for uh, the foreseeable games into the future leading into the playoffs. But how the leaderboard works in general is you'll accumulate one point for each correct prediction, no matter which one, neither hold more value over the other. Um, And at the end of the month, there will obviously be either somebody who's leading or tied or or whatever, and and we'll have our three stars essentially from our three stars leaderboard, and we'll have those, those three winners. And then we'll do that each month. And, of course, now since the season is so close to ending, normally we'd have like a person at the end of the season who is the, the final leader. That's something we're kind of going to have to do at the, uh, at the beginning of next season when we can actually do it month by month by month and collectively keep going. And I think you had brought this up to me, but I think doing it month by month allows new people to get in. But then it also rewards the people who've been here longer for the final grand prize, if they're participating every night, they also get a chance to, to be the number one, the first star at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be obviously a piece of uh, signed Kings memorabilia. There'll be no Ducks memorabilia <laughs> allowed for winners. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. We'll do something cool. We'll maybe some autograph stuff, maybe some Ducks, you know, little things here and there we'll do. And then at the grand prize at the end, obviously, uh, you and I, Eddie, and I will come up with something here to uh, make it special for the you know, people who were able to win the entire eight or nine month season here. Yeah, uh, that'll be cool. So we're definitely looking forward to that next year. But we'll definitely have a prize at the end of this month too. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean that's that's the thing too. I, I mean I think it, it lets people participate month by month and get rewarded. But then for those dedicated people who are here almost every game. And are getting them right. I mean, we had one person today who got all three of them right. So a huge start. I think it was. Uh, they get, they I, guessed all three. They guessed all three. They he had Raquel scoring the first goal. He had four two as the final score, and he had the number of penalties the Ducks took as four. 
So he's off. Congratulations! To a, I mean, he should fill out a bracket for March Madness because he's off to a he's off to a great start. So <laughs> one game on fourteen, man. He's got he's got a long way to go, but what, not yeah. a better way to start than that. I'm sure he'll be back next game, and we'll see if he can go hundred there. But yeah, that's I, I awesome. Mean, it, it that's allows awesome. it allows people who want to continue to come back after each game to to really get going and rack up points. And it allows people to get back into it because it's only, it's only one point. It's only one point for each correct answer, and you could easily make up some ground by just getting lucky and getting the correct answer or traveling to the future and, and uh, coming back in time and, and getting the answer that way. So <laughs> it, it provides you different ways to win, which I think is something we're looking for. Awesome, man. Well, let's get to those questions. Let's see yeah. what, the, let's see what the, the fans have for us. All right. So uh, Mr. Ducks and Pucks himself, Mike Walters, asked the first question. He said, what do you think of the fourth line hashtag old guys rule? <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely didn't play a ton of minutes to make any damage. I thought they had a decent game, though. We talked about yeah. it a little bit. Um, they flew a little bit under the radar there. Uh, Chimera, I think he created a couple of scoring chances. I know Kelly kind of had uh, a shot on goal. So they weren't terrible, but I, like I said, I really didn't feel like they did anything uh, to push Anaheim over the over the hump offensively. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't much going on. But again, we're not expecting a ton from them. So for them to actually come out and not have a horrible game, which was good. I mean, I don't think I don't think I expected both of them to be in the lineup. I think I expected Shemari to be in. Didn't know if Chris Kelly would be ready, but they had some opportunities on net which is more than i expected and again they they weren't awful so i guess right now we can go with hashtag old guys rule for, for until they have a bad game so we'll talk it up as a win right yeah chalk uh, it up as a win for them so let's go into the next one here uh jason asking and i'm gonna have to bring up the stats because I, I don't know but he's asking can Rax hit 65 points so i'm gonna have to bring up how many he has right now uh that would be after tonight if it hasn't updated already he would be at 53 in 60 games so can he hit 65 65 is a that's a tough one i mean he's definitely gonna hit 30 goals yeah Uh, he's he's at 26 right now he's got to stay hot so this is like you gotta gotta take a gamble here on yes or no i think he definitely can um, I, I feel like with Getzloff coming back, he has the flu. He's not like he has like he's really injured. I yeah. think that can definitely help. Uh, this team's in a playoff push. I don't see why he can't. I'm going to go ahead and say yeah. I say he has 65 points plus. Yeah, so that that is 12 points in the final 17 games. Yeah, so, why not? I think he can do it. I think so. And, and you know what they brought up as well? I saw a couple people bring it up on Twitter. They brought it up on the Ducks broadcast as well. Is what you look for in a prospect is every season they get better. Well, tonight Raquel has now passed his uh, season high in points, or his career high, sorry, in points at 51. Now he's at 53. He had 51 in 71 games last year. Now he's got 53 so far in 60 games. Uh, he's going to keep adding on to that as well and, and hitting on the question. You know, if he hits 65, he's jumped up into each different category 30, 40, 50, and 60 after each season. So that's what you look for. And I mean, he's been the Ducks' best player for the most part of the season. Absolutely. He, along with Gutsloff, have been. Oh, and you got to throw Henrique in there since he's been here. Yeah. Those three guys have been uh, carrying this team offensively for sure. On the note of Henrique, what a pass uh, for Cogliano's second breakaway of the game. Obviously, Cogliano didn't finish, but a nice little saucer stretch pass over everybody and keeping Cogliano on side. I mean, we've seen that from him a couple times this season. I had to because I looked down for a second. Next thing I know, I looked up and Coglin was on a break. I'm like, "What? Yeah. How'd that happen?" I rewinded for a second, but yeah, he's Henrique's been 
just unbelievable for the Ducks. Um, he didn't have an amazing game today. His line kind of got chewed up a little bit five on five, mm-hmm. but um, he does all the little things. I mean, we got. I know he kind of like he turned a puck over, came back and picked the pocket. Um, I think you made a, a gif on that and put it up on Twitter. So he's a guy. He's one of the best two way forwards. I, I feel like that I've seen coming to Anaheim. Yeah. And uh, we got another year of him, so I'm I'm happy to have him on the team. All right, so let's keep chugging along here. Richard is asking. Well, he's not really asking, but he brings up a point. He says Troy Terry, I think, makes the roster next year. So, based on that, really, do you think Troy Terry makes the roster next year? Because there have been some rumors that if he signs, he might come to the Ducks before the end of the season. Obviously, obviously when his college season is over, I don't know. I want to get your opinion before I chime in on this. He hasn't really played big boy hockey. Um, yeah. I know he played Olympics, but I mean, the, let's, let's be honest there. The best of the best weren't there. Mm-hmm. There's definitely an opportunity for him to come in, considering the, the forward depth or lack thereof that we just talked about in the farm system. If he comes in and impresses, I know he did have, I think, five assists in the Olympics. So he was able to put up points. Um, I'm not sure if his, you know, his collegiate totals and where he kind of ranks there against, you know, against other similar prospects, but there's definitely a chance, but I don't know. Um, This roster kind of feels like it's set. You and I have talked about this. Where are you going to move somebody? You would have to literally bump somebody off the roster, and if you're going to do that, it's going to be for Patrick Eves over Troy Terry. And I think that's honestly a good spot to be in because from what it looks like from the comments from Murray's, it looks like if Eves doesn't make it back this season, he's going to be back 100% next season, which is good news to hear. But it adds to that, again, Eves is going to bump somebody off into the fourth line. And well, you got then, you got Kelly and Tremere and Vermette, right? So, yeah. so those guys probably aren't coming back. Yeah, but then you've you've got the top nine, which is still there. So when Eves comes back, he realistically probably bumps somebody like Richie down to the fourth line, and then maybe you put up some younger guys or you know bring up Cordelius Kosselar, uh anybody from the minors, Kevin Wan, Kevin Wan on that fourth line and have an actual skill fourth line for once, which would be nice. But but yeah, Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Maxim Comtois, Max Jones. There's no point in really bringing them up and playing them on the fourth line. And then, again, there's no point in bumping any of the guys in the current top six down to the fourth line. But it leaves the Ducks in a similar position. We've seen teams like Detroit in the past, where it's not a bad thing to have to put your guys in the AHL and get some more experience. Even if they are almost ready to, to go, It's I mean, it's extra experience. And I'm kind of on the same page as you are with Troy Terry. He hasn't had big boy experience like you said he had a good world juniors but what he's really remembered for is the shootout other than that the, his world juniors were eh, meh they were subpar uh he's played good in college but he's also been playing with one of the top prospects outside the nhl in henry borgstrom who's a florida panthers prospect first round pick so that helps as well and like you said the olympics weren't best on best he had a good tournament but he was given some very good opportunities in, in the u.s top six so i don't want to you know, I don't want to get on him too hard, but I think it's going to be tough, and I think there's other Ducks prospects like Sam Steele and Max Jones, and now Maxim Comtois with the way he's been playing. He's been on fire. Those guys all have chances to make the team over, over Troy Terry. Yeah, we'll just have to see come training camp. My mm-hmm. my guess is, though, is that he's not going to be in front of any of those guys. Um, not to say he can't make the team, mm-hmm. but I, he's got to come over here and play some AHL hockey, I feel like, before he steps into a role in the Ducks. Yeah, and um, kind of go, this next question here kind of goes to what you were talking about, how you are saying Vegas is actually struggling a bit. So Jason, you know Jason well, so Jason oh, yeah. asks, 
With Vegas starting to struggle and assuming the Ducks get into the playoffs, do you think the Ducks can make the Western Conference final? So that looks like they're going through San Jose or L.A. and then obviously going through Vegas in the second round. I don't think they beat Vegas in a, a seven-game series. I think they have a chance to beat L.A. Yeah, I think they have a chance, a solid chance to beat San Jose. I think they match up well. Uh, the Pacific Division's not the strongest division in the NHL as it used to be. Um, the Central's pretty much taken over that role, I feel like, with mm-hmm. uh, Winnipeg and Nashville being just scary, scary teams. Um, but every time that someone has put Vegas' back against the wall all season, we talked about it a little bit earlier on the show, It's they've come out and won. They come out yeah. and win, come out and win, come out and win. I mean, they're still 41-18-5. Yeah, they're 5-4-1 in their past 10, but this is going to be a tough team. Um, they're still going to have the chip on their shoulder. They, you know, they don't want to lose. They're not going to throw in the towel. They're in first place. Uh, I don't think the Ducks go through. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same as you. Um, no, Vegas did actually lose to the Senators 5-4 today. Hey, so we don't need to talk about that. Talk about Vegas <laughs> struggling a bit. But, yeah, um, I've said since probably halfway point of the season that I was waiting and waiting and waiting for Vegas to, to slump and get down in the bottom of the standings and kind of move out of a playoff spot. Obviously, that hasn't happened. They added Thomas Tatar at the deadline, which is very saddening for me. But, yeah. I, I yeah, no jersey for Eddie. You. Yeah, I know. But I, I agree with you. I think they can get through San Jose, and I think they can get through L.A. But playing Vegas, especially when Vegas has home ice advantage, so you're going to play, presumably, if you play seven-game series, four at T-Mobile Arena, which is an impossible place to win. The Ducks actually won there, which was miraculous. But I think it could, they could make it close, but beating them is going to be very tough over a seven-game stretch. Vegas is going to wear you down with their speed, and, and I think you know the Ducks can make it difficult. But, yeah. I mean, even if you win that, though, then you go play Nashville and Winnipeg, and it's just a nightmare. So Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you uh, made I mean, it to the Western <laughs> Conference Final. Here's two of the best teams in the NHL. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to play the one of those teams either. Yeah, can we just go skate just skate straight to the Stanley Cup? That's that's what we need to do here. All right, uh, getting in to the last couple questions here. Uh, not hockey related, this one, but Elliot says, "Is Patrick single because his voice is sexy?" <laughs> oh my god! So, <laughs> <laughs> this question is directed at you, obviously. So. <laughs> Um, I, if it's the Elliot, I think I'm thinking of, he's a good buddy of mine. And, yeah. um, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, he can text me about that. I'll, I'll talk about my personal life off the show. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on from that one. We'll cut, we'll count that as a pass. Uh, that's Elliot funny. That's again, totally caught me off back, guard. But this time he's back with a hockey question. So he says, what are the chances Getz and Perry can kick their game up again, come playoffs like last season? And there's a second part, but I'll get to that after because it doesn't, it's kind of a different question. Um, for me, we, we talked about Getzloff. Uh, he can be that guy he was last year. And uh, to be honest with you, that what, what he ran into was Nashville and he ran into PK Subban, shutting him down. Um, Subban in that role was able to shut off Getzloff there. And that's what kind of held up the offense for me. And that series was still close. Yeah. I mean, if not for Gibby getting injured and then, yeah, we all know about Bernie. We don't want to bring up heartache again, uh, from last year. Cause that was killer. <laughs> But uh, they definitely can. I, I I really think that, like I said earlier, the offense drives through Getzloff, and I firmly believe that he can carry a team. Now, when it comes to Perry, he's been there for big game, big goals, like we said earlier. So, sure, I would hope so that he could be there for that. Um, but I would rely more on uh, on Getzloff than Paris at this point. 
Yeah, and, and I think so. I mean, we saw Perry pick it up in the playoffs last year, and I think, I think playoff hockey. I know it's so cliche, but I think playoff hockey is Corey Perry's style of hockey. It fits. It's him. a different. It's a different game. It's a different yeah. season. It's a. It's defense and goaltending's at a premium. It, yeah. it, it's at its best, and goals come by. I mean, it's, they're so close games. Like all the games are so close. Yeah, I, I think it fits his style of play better as well. I mean, obviously it fits Getzlaff, but Getzlaff has played well in the season as well. So I, I don't think Getzlaff – well, I mean, he can kick his game up higher than he's playing right now, but I think he's already playing at such a high level. You know, it's not really fair to ask that much more from him. But Perry, I definitely think, can use a boost come playoff time. We saw it last year. I think we can see it this year. I think he thrives in those types of situations. So I, I think that's something we can see. Uh, getting into the second part of his question now, he says, and what is going on, or sorry, what is going to take for Silverberg to get some bounces his way? Oh my God, that whole line. <laughs> Kessler yeah. hits the post tonight. I mean, Cogliano gets on the board. So we all breathe a sigh of relief the there. He's in front right, of, on so. the, yeah, shorthanded, so it wasn't out with his, his usual crew. Um, he's been snake bit. Mm-hmm. That whole line just has not been the same since Kessler's uh, injury, or and, and surgery rather, and he came back. He's still not 100%. I mean, they were saying he's not even going to be 100% all earliest next season. And getting into grind time right now and then going into the playoffs, as we just said, it's a much different, much more physical, much more physical brand of hockey, which normally is Kessler's game where he's able to agitate and create space for guys like, uh, at least in my opinion, create space for the more skill guys because, you know, he's, he's kind of past that in his career. Silverberg's had chances. He just hasn't buried them. Um, it's just not going in for him right now. They need. They, I don't know what needs to click for them. The, the old hockey cliche is uh, they're gripping their sticks too tight. Yeah. But there comes to a point where they they need to figure it out. They need that line to click. He kind of seems like he's a streaky player. Like he'll get on a roll where he'll play really well for a couple games and then he'll kind of disappear. But I don't want to say that definitively because that line has kind of disappeared for the entire season, right? So I don't want to get on get on him too hard and say he's been awful, but. You know, he definitely needs a boost. I think he needs a confidence boost, and, and we've talked about it off the show before, and, and now we can bring it up here, is maybe moving him off that line would be beneficial to him, but it's tough right now because where do you put him? Because you, you want Getzlaff, Raquel, and Perry together, and you want that Henry, Kasha, Richie guy line together because other than tonight, they've been great together. So the only way I see him you know, kind of switching roles is maybe Perry and Silverberg switch positions and you get maybe a little bit of a boost there because I think Silverberg could benefit a lot from playing with Getzlaff and Raquel, but then you're also pulling down Perry because now he's playing with Kessler and Cogliano who are both struggling. So it's kind of tough to roll those two guys around. I pulled up his stats right here. He's he's definitely, it looks like he's a little lighter on the shots. He's got 149 yeah. shots through 60 games. Last season he had 227 through 79. Jeez. So he's definitely a little down. Um, but his yeah. point totals last season was 49, and, and we just talked about prospects getting better and better each season. He went from nine or 19 points in Ottawa in 2013 to 23 points with Anaheim to 39 to 39 to 49, then to see him drop down to 27 with about 17 games left. Yeah, I mean, if he gets streaky, he could hit 20 goals again. He's got 13, um, and he did score a, goal, a score a goal most recently against Vegas. So he's here and there, but he definitely not the same feeling on that line. They need to they need to figure something out. I know you said it's it's streaky, but that line's just not been offensive at all. Yeah, and, and you know I want to attribute it to the fact that that line together has been bad for a while. 
and, and a lot of it comes down to Kessler's injury and, and just them not being able to get things going together. So hopefully when Kessler comes back next season and is, is hopefully healthier than he is now a whole summer or so, depending on where the Ducks finish and how far they go in the playoffs of rest, that they can get back together and, and that will hopefully boost Silverberg's game because he hasn't looked like the player we're used to seeing from him in the past and it would be nice for him to get back to that you know 35 40 50 point range and, and be a consistent player that way because I feel like he has the talent to do that and and maybe he's just having you know that off season where he, he's kind of struggling as a line rather than as an individual yeah I could agree with that all right, and we actually got that was it until five minutes ago. We got a question from Christopher, who is is you know slugging it out for the long haul with the first podcast here. He's asking, is Randy Carlisle finally ready to keep Boschman and Bieksa in the press box more than on the ice? Oh God, I hope so. It looks. I like really it. hope so. And I know that I trash him. I say it every every podcast on. I always I always like preface my you know, what I'm going to talk about with him by saying I know I trash him, but. Um, yeah. as bad as they've been, some of the fault has to, has to, uh, fall on Randy Carlisle and Bob Murray for mismanagement when it comes to their ice time and, uh, their deployment and situations and put in their pairings. I don't think Boschman thought he was going to play this many games. Um, I mean, really, I didn't think that was going to be the case. And yeah. I don't think he thought this was going to be the case. Um, but you know, you have Vatten and traded left a hole on defense. You got to fill it with somebody. Things had to be done. Uh, it's 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 starting to come around to where the Ducks are playing really well right now. Uh, I I think he finally is learning that. But I mean, one of them's going to have to be in and until next season. I would be shocked if Boschman signs with a contract because he said he's going to retire. BX is really good old buddy, old pals with uh, Ryan Kessler, and as far as I know, he's really really well liked in Anaheim. So I he maybe could get a a one year one mil deal to extend, mm-hmm. but. Um, as great of a guy as he is, I kind of hope that the younger up-and-coming prospect get a chance to come in there and slot in. Yeah, and I think it's manageable when you only have one of them in the lineup, and and we've kind of seen that. You know, Boschman has been in the, the last few games when BX is in. You don't see as many errors because, really, Lindholm's keeping them afloat because he's been paired with both of them every time they're in the lineup individually. So I think that helps. I still think it's an issue even having one of them in the lineup. I was a I was huge on, on getting Ian Cole from Ottawa because he'd originally obviously really? traded to to from Pittsburgh to Ottawa. He actually has some decent numbers, and I think you know he's not exactly the defender the Ducks need. They needed a guy who can keep possession and, and really boost things up that way and, and help out Lindholm. They needed that type of defenseman. Ian Cole's not necessarily that. His numbers were good in Pittsburgh, and they've been good so far in Columbus. He obviously didn't play that great tonight. But I, I think he could have helped. I think he would have been a, definitely a better option than Boschman or BX. And he was one of the better depth guys available for the price. Of, it was like a third-round pick and, and a prospect that they were going for. So I think if you were going to improve on defense at the at the deadline, he was your best option, and, and it wasn't going to cost you too much. Unfortunately, they didn't get him. But like, it's nice to see Pedersen still up. You know, We thought maybe he was getting baited out there for teams to come get him, and that might have been yep. the case. But he's proven that he can play at this level. And, you know, he's slowly gotten more ice time, which which is nice to see. I don't know how much he got tonight, but he seemed like he was out there a decent amount at least. So probably over 12, 13, 14 minutes around there. So it's nice to see his ice time going up because he's deserved it. He's played well. 
No, I agree. And it's I think he's he's here for the rest of the year. There's he's gotta be there. Yeah. They they're definitely rotating in Boschman and, and BXS several games off. So that's good. I think you gotta give him a pat on the back and, and trusting a young defenseman to stay up on the team, sure. But it was just a little bit of mismanagement on their deployment and neither one of those guys, as much as I rag on them, expected to play as much as they did. So next season hopefully it'll be different. Yeah. And Larson got the O T winner for for the goals today, so maybe just maybe he get we get to see him once this season. I'd like to see him at least once. Yeah, maybe why not, right? If, yeah. if we can get a couple of games in hand and then uh, bring him up, sure. Yeah. Why not play another rookie? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we're talking about people sticking around in the podcast. Adam is still here with us. And <laughs> getting in another late question, he asked, as far as the future goes, which of the FAs do you see the Ducks keeping? Uh, he said, obviously, you have to keep Kasha and Montour and probably Richie, but uh, what kind of contracts do we think they get, and do we keep anybody else? So going with the first one, just looking at the FAs, so what's that? Vermet, uh, I would have to look. I, I'm blanking hard. This I back. thought Vermet was going to be traded. I yeah, really did. so did I. Yeah, but I, he had, he has a no move clause, so that you know, I guess that didn't make sense, mm-hmm. right? He's he was going to be hard to move. Um, so or no trade. Yeah, no trade clause. Boschman, Chimera, Chris Kelly, right, JT Brown. Um, I would. I mean, obviously, yeah. Richie's going to make probably double what he's making now. Yeah, I don't see him getting a giant deal. He hasn't really stepped up and become that uh, first round pick we've all desired him to be. Mm-hmm. But he's still 22. I I don't think he's ever going to be a high end offensive player. He's probably going to be a career middle six guy at yeah. best, second line, right? So, so I would say he probably comes in or four. Or yeah, years. bridge deal. Bridge you got to give him a bridge deal. You can't give yeah. him long term. You, yeah. you can't max him out. There's no way. Uh, same thing with Kasha too. He's had yeah. one hell of a season. But uh, everyone's got to remember, like, averages come around. Uh, yeah. You can peak and peak and peak in one season, and then uh, next season have a down year. The Ducks can't get caught in the money game. They have a lot of guys with big contracts. Yeah, I think the good thing with Cash, he's looked consistently well in pretty much every game he's played in. So, uh, And he's driving play, which is always a good thing to see. So I think he's the real deal. Maybe not a top six forward, maybe like a third line energy guy who can contribute offensively, like a consistent, you know, 35, 40 point guy, which is nothing wrong with that. Getting a guy like that in the seventh round is huge. Um, but yeah, I think he gets a bridge deal as well. Or, or I don't think those two guys probably want longer term deals. I think they feel like they can get more money if they get a bridge deal. So that's interesting. I think the, the one you kind of have to look at is Montour. What does he get and for how long? I think you kind of have to lock him up. Yeah. It, it's He's a mobile defender. Sure, he gets caught out of position. He hasn't looked his best. But you got to remember, the majority of his games were spent with uh, Kevin BX or Francois Boschman, right? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't get slotted with the best defenseman. Um, and he's finally paired with Fowler, who can skate just like him. Like, Montour's best too. asset is his skating ability. He's yeah. a, such a great skater. So I feel like you have to lock him up. He's a good young player. Um, I don't think you give him the massive term, but probably a four-year deal. You're going to see something similar to probably to what uh, – maybe a little less money than what Josh Manson got, but uh, probably the same amount of term. Yeah, well, the, I opinion. mean, the Ducks don't have a ton of wiggle room either because of Fowler and Manson's contracts kicking in. Uh, I mean, Manson's making a huge jump from what he's making right now to, to just over $4 million and and Fowler's jumping up pretty big as well. So, you know, Richie and Cash, I think we both agree they're not going to make a, too much more than they're making now. But Montreux is the interesting one because if you do want to lock him down, it's going to take more money, around three and a half, four. I think around there, 
I don't think he would want to sign a long-term deal at anything less than three and a half if it's over four or five years because I think down the road he probably believes he can make more than that if, if he plays well, especially if he starts playing well with Fowler, which is which is going to be interesting. But anyway, moving on to the next question because it does have some relevance to what we're talking about right now. It is about Fowler. Uh, Richard comes in with another question here. He says, I always hear praise for Lindholm, but I think we forget just we forget just how good Fowler is. And, and what are your thoughts on this? Because he's been playing a lot better lately with Brandon Montour. I love Hampus Lindholm. Um, I yeah. feel like he's the best defender on the Ducks, best two-way defender. He's obviously not going to put up 50, 60 points, uh, mm-hmm. 70 points, something ridiculous like Carlson's going to like Carlson's going to do or PK Subban has done in the past. Yeah, he's he's the two-way guy. Um, if he was consistent offensively at all, there's been several pundits who have said that. I want to say it was Travis Yost said, like, if he would score consistently, he would be in the conversation for uh, the Norris. Yeah. That's how good he is defensively. Cam Fowler is a good offensive defenseman in my mind. I think he gets a little bit loose on the defensive side of things. Not saying he's terrible. Uh, his skating really makes up for any mistakes that he has because he's a damn good skater. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I mean, I don't think he's the best defender on the team. I got to go with Hampus still. What about you? Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I'd put him in the category as a more offensive defenseman. But it's tough when you look at the numbers. I mean, Lindholm twenty three points, nine goals in fifty two games. Fowler twenty eight points, eight goals in fifty three games. Not to say Lindholm is is a better player mm-hmm. offensively, but they have mm-hmm. similar numbers. So I, I don't think you can put Fowler miles ab- above Lindholm and Montour. Uh, in the offensive category, I think you know he does have his issues defensively. We've talked about in, in our in our tests leading up to this show that Fowler has the tendency to kind of lose his man occasionally and in bad situations. I think it was the game against Edmonton where he was kind of mesmerized, mesmerized by uh, by Connor McDavid, which I mean I don't hard not to be yeah. hard not to be. Uh, he loses <laughs> Slepeshev just. Kind of skates away from Slepeshev. He skates behind Fowler. gets open in front of the net. Uh, McDavid makes a great pass to him. But that's his guy. And we've seen that a couple times, more than a couple times this season from Fowler, where he just kind of loses his man and ends up leading to a goal. And I, I think that's an issue for him right now, especially defensively. I don't think he's as good defensively as a lot of people think. But I don't want to I don't want to be too harsh on him either because he is a very good defenseman. He is a top-four defenseman. Um, and, and you're right, Richard is right here, that a lot of the praise always falls on Lindholm, and I think Fowler gets the short end of the stick sometimes, but uh, he's been I mean, he too good. was paired with his, a majority of his season with Kevin Bieksa as well. Exactly. So, I mean, it, he's dragging around anchors. It's and, hard. It's hard with, to, to uh, see what the true value of him is. Yeah, and with Montour, he's looked better. And, and, you know, Lindholm's been with Manson for the majority of the season where he's looked good. So it's hard to judge the two right now because, like you said, they've kind of been paired with anchors at different points of the season. Lindholm comes from his strong pairing, gets paired with, with Bieksa or Boschman. Fowler comes from being with the anchors, gets paired with Montour, and now he's looking better. So I think they're both valuable pieces with the Ducks, if that answers your question, Richard. Um, again, we answer one question. We get another question that comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have two more who comes in. So uh, Manuel asks, um, what about some Grant love? Do you feel he gets resigned on the cheap? Uh, Derek Grant, elite center tonight, playing on the first line. I think he definitely could. There's definitely an opportunity there. Carlisle obviously likes him. He's done enough to put him up on the top line. Um, I, he could definitely make a case for it. And yeah. I don't see it being an issue. If he's, if he's going to be a fourth-line guy, I have no problem with that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean – 
he kind of seems that guy who just moves up and down the lineup when guys get injured. He was scheduled to be on the fourth line with Chimera and uh, Chris Kelly and then gets off the late scratch because of the flu, so he gets moved up to the first line. We've seen that when Kessler's out, that he gets moved up to the second line. And, you know, he hasn't been um, bad. You know, he started this season unbelievable and, you know, was kind of impressing everybody the way he's been playing, but he was given good opportunities. And then he went on that stretch where he just wasn't good and we were all kind of seeing the player we thought he was. And now he's just kind of been consistently okay. And that's kind of what we saw from Wagner when he was here. Obviously, he got traded. But, you know, I like having a guy like that around, a guy you can kind of just fill spots. doesn't play every night, but, you know, he can fill up and down the lineup when guys get hurt or guys are sick. So... You can get him cheap, probably even on a two-way deal where you can send him back down to the minors if you want. I, I think that is where you can fit Grant. He's not going to cost you much, and it, he's always it's always nice to have those types of guys in the lineup. Absolutely. Uh, and I think I think that's it for questions. Richard comes in saying Fowler also also constantly gets paired with subpar defensemen. Happy yep, he was yeah. finally getting paired with Montour. Hard mm-hmm. to argue he isn't a top tier when he leads the team in ice by about two minutes and. And that's what you brought up. I mean, he's a minute eater for the Ducks, and it's always important to have a guy like that on your team. Absolutely. So let's let's put a bow on it, man. Let's tie this show up. Yeah, we're getting thank late you. now. <laughs> yeah. So. Thank you, everybody who supported yeah. us on our inaugural show who's tuned in, left a comment, retweeted us, left a message on our Instagram and our Facebook, hit us up in any way, shape, or form for encouragement, or you know, said, let's go, Ducks. We appreciate all the love. Uh, we'll be here again on Sunday. I think we'll be the show will be a little bit after the yeah, game, right? Because I think you be, have work. Yeah. So the game is early for you guys. Still early for me. It's a one. PM yeah, you're in Pacific. Toronto. For those that don't know, Eddie's in Toronto. Yeah. So it's a one p.m. Pacific, four p.m. Eastern here, and I I literally start work at four p.m. So I'll be back later. The show unfortunately won't be right after the game for most games it will for the next one of course in our second show of course it's not going to be right after but we'll still have it that night i'll keep you guys updated on the forever mighty twitter account so if you're not following and you're listening right now it's at forever mighty fm on twitter uh just stay tuned with that account you know follow me or patrick on twitter as well to keep updated and, and we'll let you know um, I would assume probably a couple hours, two or three hours after the game is when we'll go live. Uh, and again, if you can't catch it live, we're always going to have a link that gets tweeted out later for the podcast on Spreaker. So you can listen to it on your ride home, listen to it when you're, you're heading to work, whenever it feels good for you guys. Uh, I mean, that, that works for us. Yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're on YouTube. Um, and like Eddie said, you can catch us here on Spreaker as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And let's go, Docs. We'll talk to you guys soon.